Hi, welcome to Isolating with my therapist mum. My name's Lexi. And I'm Anna, I'm the therapist mum. And I'm the daughter, and we're on week six Six. of self-isolating in Florida together. Dad said it's 40 days. Wow. (laughs) It's like 40 days in the wilderness. Actually, to be fair, I don't feel it's been that long. I actually feel really grateful that you guys are somewhat sane and <laughs> I can and we have open communication and we've been able yeah. to work through things and we do and I have work that is kind of yeah. you know occupies so I feel yeah it's not as overwhelming as I thought it would be at this point honestly yeah yeah no it's uh, I think we've all had our struggles daily up and down um yeah so we were um so we had a bit of an emotional hangover from our last um yeah conversation on womanhood that got into a lot of you know heavy topics and then we watched bombshell the movie and then we had some other um conversations also with my dad and so yeah how are you feeling since our last conversation on women and the role and what it means to be a woman and our yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as we were saying then, and I think the word I used and you picked up on was I was embarrassed that it had taken me till now at 61 to be much more aware of the woman issue. Mm. Um, but, you know, I've had several comments from friends who are also my age saying, wow, that made me look at myself and my past and this is painful and I don't really want to do it, but whoa, you've kind of opened the Pandora's box a bit and I need to, to look at, you know, what's gone on in my life. Mm. Um, So I've been remembering maybe a few more things or, yeah, just being grateful, I think, that I, I don't know, we had that opportunity to talk about it together and realising the difference, and for me, between my, uh, my mother and now... There's a lot that's happened in our... Yeah, we that was my Mrs. reflection America too. Yeah, we watched Mrs. America. We've got a lot of yeah. woman, feminist, Women's interesting <laughs> themes. Yeah, but yeah, I feel I feel the same. I think it's just shocking kind of in just such a... What is it? A, a decade? No. Uh, well, how many decades? Well, However if, many... If, if my mum was a mum in the 50s... Okay, so, so since that's, the 50s. That's yeah, so... A lot of so since... <laughs> Math is not a strong But basically, yeah, just since that evolving, just how many definitions and re kind of clarifying of concepts and and all of this has just been happening in such actually relatively short Short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, I felt I had a few more kind of... um, kind of memories pop up and and it's hard because when they do and you suddenly have a new lens for them um or to see that maybe you were taken advantage or maybe there was a time that you didn't speak up or that you were uncomfortable but you were afraid to say so or or yeah or maybe you and there was even times that maybe I've undermined another woman in a way that Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have so um all of those kind of things came up for me and just and if it's hard because they feel very fresh then when they do um it feels like it just happened yesterday so the emotion and pain that you feel is so strong but you're kind of talking yourself down in a way yeah because it didn't just happen yesterday but it feels like it did um 
And then we found ourselves going on and talking about what was it like for me to raise you and Mm. the boys. Yeah. And how was that different? So that's really where we're going to... So that's what we're going to talk about today, isn't it? Like motherhood and... Um, yeah, switching gears to the mother-daughter relationship and yeah, another part of potentially a woman's journey could be to yeah. be, become a mother and, and um, thinking yeah. about that. Yeah, and I was saying about just feeling for all the young mums and dads today because dads are far more involved now than they ever were, gosh. Um, but feeling for you all today when... Um, there is so much advice. And in fact, I looked it up and I'm going to have to move the cat off of my piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, evidently, and I don't, I'm not good at numbers, but I think that's 104 million advice blogs alone wild. on parenting. That's wild. And then there's 35,814 books on Amazon. Today? About, yeah, about parenting. I think mm. it was today. But it's some big number. Yeah. And... And I remember there was one, there was Mr. Spock um, and... Who's that? It was a Mr. Spock says, that that was the parenting guru. So it's like Dr. Drew for now. Dr. Drew for now, yes. But obviously in written form, no e-book, a big proper big book. And I think it was about 19, again, actually 1946 he was published. Okay. A man. And that was the go-to, a man. That was the go-to. But I had a book by a woman called Penelope Leach. And again, there weren't many. I think you either had her book and she was quite into, in England, there was a thing called the National Childbirth Trust, which was much more into natural birth, if you can, and all those Mm. sort of things and breastfeeding. But there wasn't much choice. I think that was probably about it. Um, Mm. Uh, the willful child. I mean, I got that for you mm. <laughs> to help with you um, <laughs> how to manage a willful child. But you know, it was like there was very little around, mm. and obviously, my mother wasn't alive yeah. to be able to give me any input either. Although she would have been raising me in a very different era that I was raising you. But you know, my heart's got out to all these young women that have just got so much input. Yeah. Well, or you could say the opposite. My heart goes out to you with only two books. Okay. So how do you... (laughs) I can blame everything. So so how do you... Yeah, what was that like for you expecting your first child, me, a daughter, you have two other sons? Well, I didn't know what you were going to be for starters. Ah, okay. So there wasn't the thoughts of what do I want for this child as a growing up as a girl. No, in fact, there's a funny story. So I didn't know if if it was going to be... I think we called it Heffalump actually what you... that's such an offensive name <laughs> or jumbo or something it was those, something those like both that. imply massive i know body i know weight. well i did have a big bump i only put weight on so you my called tummy. it heffalump or jumbo, or jumbo? Or jumbo wow yeah. it's a nickname so, okay <gasps> and you didn't know Sounds then so affectionate. Uh, you didn't know then whether it was going to be a boy or girl and yeah. to be honest I really urge everybody, and if you ever have, you're pregnant, yeah. please do not find out. It's the one Why? thing. Well, it's then, oh, is it, oh, I can go through this pain because is it going to be a boy or it could be a girl? Or, uh, and you get a reward at the end because it's a boy or a girl. That explains <laughs> a lot of the way your brain works. Thanks. Very reward-based. <laughs> <laughs> I needed some motivation to get through the pain. That's amazing. But yeah, so I didn't know. But then when, our th- when I was pregnant with our third child, 
Um, I'd had a girl, then a boy. So my brain again said, okay, the third one was going to be a girl. So no evidence for this. And mm. I could have chosen, but I didn't then to find out. And so I bought um, girl pampers. So when Ryan, a little boy, was born, <laughs> he was wearing pink pampers for the first Why? few days of his convinced? life. Why? It was going to be a girl. Yep, boy, girl. And the shape felt like a girl. What? There's a different shape well, yeah, for a girl people, and a boy? You know, people would look at you then and say, oh, definitely going to be a boy. Or, oh, definitely going to be a girl. Because it's bigger or smaller? Well, it's whether, where you carry it and I don't know whether it's more in your back or the front. I've never heard that. Huh? Oh, yes. You see, then it was all on fable and myth and yeah. superstition. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> so he huh. dressed. He was dressed in little pink pampers. Sorry, Ryan. That's um, amazing. But, yeah. Wow. So, so, so had you have you always wanted to be a mother? Did you think about being a mother growing up, or as soon as you were married, is that something you wanted? Actually, it's interesting. I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> this might be a shock. Oh boy, I'm bracing myself. <laughs> what? Um, I kind of did, but. I actually, I really had a heart for teenagers and talking to people, even, you know, and I was a psychologist and therapist, <gasps> you know what's coming. It's like, oh my gosh, to parent teenagers is so hard. It's going to mm. be emotionally draining, exhausting, and I don't know if I want that. Mm. And so actually we both got to the point, and we were 28, 29, um, and you know, said, okay, we couldn't imagine being, say, 40 without having children. Mm. And so that was really what propelled us to So it wasn't like, I can't journey. wait to have a baby. No, because we son. got married at 25. It wasn't. So, no. so you were prepared for the hardship of parenting, but yeah, you, I was looking you at were the still saying, <laughs> I want it, though. Yeah, but I think it was very ambivalent. I think I, I, I mean, I worked with children. That was mm. my first job with children and parents in GP surgeries mm. in the UK. Ran sleep groups for parents who couldn't sleep because of their so children. So you saw all the negatives. So I saw yeah. all the negatives. You know, I'm surprised you eat. still wanted children. I know. Don't ask if I my convictions were true, and I was. <laughs> yeah, but it, and three yeah. of them too. You didn't just have one. Well, Daddy was very keen on number three. And I'm very grateful we had number I don't three. call him daddy, by the way. I no. don't know why you just said that. <laughs> but no, he really wanted a third. And we both come from parents huh. who have had two, had two children. So you kind of gave in. I did. But actually, we, we had a bit of an, an aborted attempt. It was like, no, stop, I'm not ready. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, kind of like we were halfway through the process. And suddenly I said, no, can't cope with this. Wait. But you still went ahead and had a baby. But later on, we had another we had another go. And okay, yeah, so this is, I don't want to get too S much word. into your S word, but like, but you're just saying like, when you were trying for a baby, you then decided I don't want. Yeah, one. I kind of like backed but off. But then you changed that. your mind again. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. <laughs> so okay, and we're very happy that yeah. yeah. Was yeah, skin. you needed to add that. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I feel like the third one. No offense, to anyone, but aren't they usually the accident? Uh, can be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah. So yeah. that's what he, I'd he assumed anyway. Not. He was not. No. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. So so looking at mums now. Yeah. Um. Versus you bringing your first baby into the world. 
Um, what, what do you look at parents now and uh, either say, I would like to have done some of it that way in mm-hmm. terms of parenting or, um, or say, I can't believe they're doing it that way and I yeah. don't want are there I any mean, things that come to mind? To be honest, it's the latter, which is... I mean, it's more like, how do they cope with all the pressures on them that they've got to be... Personally, they've got to look good all the time. Hmm. They've got to be fit. They've got to cook the right food. And they've got to be foodies. They've got to present pictures on Instagram of their beautiful houses and the creative the stuff. Pressure they, of appearance. Pressure of appearance. Yeah. And they've got to have these kids that... You're running around every night, unless you're in this time of life, which maybe is a bit of a break, a rest for them. I don't know when they're not able to go and join other kids. Anyway, that you're rushing around, taking them to different events, um, and the pressure of helping your children with all that they do. Because I gather now it's like all the projects and basically mum projects, not kids projects. Yeah. Um, and what other people are saying about your children. Um, and the social media. That's a whole other media stuff. level. Yeah. And the fact that the children... There's often the idea of that the children are kind of mini-gods in a way, mm. if I can say that. That the children have the last word. The children are the most important thing. in Everything in the family, everything with the couple revolves around the children and mm. the children are the central thing of the relationship which is not you know sorry to say mm. but I'm sure I'm not I really feel that the couple uh, are the glue they're what holds stuff together and if their relationship isn't the priority mm. then I think the rest can start falling apart and actually when the children leave home there's no relationship left because you've spent all your energy on devoting your time and worshipping these little star flakes, snowflakes, or whatever they call them, um, you know? Yeah. So what does that look like in your, um, in your like, marriage, like, to put your marriage above your children? Because to me, I'm like, why can't you just have a balance between both? Like, I love my children, I love my partner, I'm going to put both of them yeah, first. I, so or, or it I just doesn't work like there's that. There's different issues, I think... We tend to feel when we're about to have a second child or maybe when we're thinking about it, we tend to think, oh, my love can't expand to another person because I love my husband and I love my little child. Mm. And then you suddenly find when you have, when you're blessed and if you're able to have another child, that suddenly there's still love for the second child. And it's not as if everything is diluted it's just as much for that fourth person in that uh, family as it was for the three so I don't think it's about either I love my husband or I love my child it's actually there's enough love Mm. to go around it's not a scarcity mentality yeah and I think sometimes people tend to think it is yeah but I think love is bigger than the finite only mm-hmm. goes a certain way and if maybe generally if everybody mm-hmm. loved more we would realize that too yeah um but I do think it's about the structure of the family and I think the children from my how I brought you up how Doug and I did was that you needed to know we loved each other and that we were that there were times that we would say no it's mummy and daddy's time now 
And I know a lot of parents, I've seen it, parents might be in the middle of a deep, important discussion and little Tommy comes up and they both turn to little Tommy. Mm. So little Tommy gets to feel that he's the centre of the world, of the universe, because Mm. everything revolves around him. And I don't think, both in my personal and my sort of work experience, Mm. that makes little kiddies feel very safe and secure. Yeah. Full stop. (laughs) That's amazing. Interesting. Interesting. And I can see that that must be so much harder. Like, to be honest, even using your kid as an escape from hard things in your marriage Um, or relationship, I reckon, like, I would definitely do that. (laughs) Because I'd rather play with Tommy right now than have this hard conversation. So, but, so it's not even picking your partner for the good times, like, but also for the hard spaces in life I guess too but yeah that's interesting I am trying to think about if I felt that in in the family dynamics I think I think I did like I knew that like you and dad like there was a lot of boundaries around I guess the weekends I wouldn't like like we do our own thing in the mornings or like in on holidays like you guys had time I remember dad always said he wouldn't do anything before about 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning yeah and generally that's what kind of happened and yeah it, and you and we had a lot time. of babysitters and and the fact that you, you guys would still you know do things and go away for the weekend or whatever or um yeah because again we felt it was important to invest in us which was crazy because you had kids that I remember you know John chasing me down the garden oh don't talk about that one and like and (laughs) like yeah and and we thought we were going to kill each other and we made every babysitter cry and the fact that we had babysitter after babysitter and like you know and and trying to call you wherever you were to say, like, they're yeah, trying this, to kill me. This, this anyway, too much, be fair. <laughs> no, and then we had massive house parties where we, like, destroyed the house and yet you would still go away the next time. So, to me, that was, like, maybe it wasn't, oh, we trust our kids a lot or, like, we want, you know, but we're, like, no, we're still going to put what we need first and and the kids, you know even if it's not all oh, they're, they're going to be okay like we you knew that, that we were going to be okay but having a babysitter that isn't ideal like you are like no they're going to they're going to be fine yeah i mean it's interesting because i know a lot of parents now who somebody I was talking to recently i think their children were in their you know 10 11 12 they had never left them for a night yeah. What? You're rolling your okay, I've never I've never um, heard of that though. Because you don't know what the babysitters are like and you don't and now there are so many more fears about abuse I guess and all so. those yeah, issues that we were which we weren't. Did you as ever aware. think about that? I mean, although you tell all these stories, we knew the babysitters well. Mm. Um they were people that um we knew their parents as well and they were always you like know, neighbors mid-team. or whatever, yeah. yeah. So we could always contact their parents. Mm-hmm. But also they would come round even when we were there and play mm. with you. They very much knew the family. They knew the rules. Mm. Um, and But you're right, we still carried on. And yes, I mean, I don't know if you remember, there were many groundings and punishments. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, in between I had times. people running out the house taking silverware 
and played oh, this was when you were at the teenagers. house party. Yeah. Me and John had a house party. I had downstairs, we he away. had upstairs when yeah, they were away. That was bad. But, but you came back from the pub. And then my Which, my friend my friend was at the door have, while we were having a house party, and he was the um, doorman, the bouncer. That's right. And then you guys knocked at the door. And my friend said, "Sorry, we've got too many people in. Can't let us in." <laughs> and there were like eighty people in the house, I and I invited all these boys from a private school that were like older, and I was sixteen. <laughs> Um, and you guys were like, we own the place, move out the way. Yeah, yeah there were some pretty horrific... So, in fact, all my, all my <laughs> prophecies of, or fears of having teenagers... Yeah, they, I think they came yeah. true for you. But I think that also <laughs> comes back, yeah, to things I would do differently. Mm. And I think I was very much influenced by... We didn't have that many people whose children were the same age... Mm. We were the first of our cohort of friends and we all lived all over the country. We weren't, you know, we'd moved to London for Doug's job. Um, so I didn't have many peers that were our age. So it was really, you know, running on a wing and a prayer, very mm. much a lot of prayers. Um, and so my peer group, we, a lot of your friends and mm. Jonathan's friends' parents who had very different rules and ways mm. of raising their children who would laugh if their children got drunk, mm. um, who would, you know, I remember once there was a particular film that I, well, every time you were invited to go to watch a film with friends, mm. I would always check out with the parents what the film was, whether mm. I was happy to see it, whether it was an underage, overage one or whatever. Mm. And there were many that parents would take you to that were underage because you all look mm -hmm. much more grown up. And I remember checking out what film, and then I went to the house dropped you off outside and the mum mm. was waiting and I said oh great I hope you enjoy whatever the film was and she said oh no we're gonna go and see xy okay bye and you'd already run down the path mm. and I'm stuck in this car with this woman who had totally changed the rules on me mm. and I remember going home and feeling really upset and almost crying because it's like I was really trying to be a good parent but mm. this other parent Although I'd done the right things, checked it out, and I knew her, mm. she totally changed the rules midway. Huh. And I was helpless. I mean, but I think back now, well, maybe I should have gone in and got you and said, no, we're not going. Mm. So I think I would have been maybe a bit firmer with um, you. Mm. I'd have talked to you a lot more and got you down by my side. And I think that's a great thing that more, more parents are doing to today. What, what do you mean, down by my well, side? Well, I would have sit, sat next to you yeah. and talked to you a lot more about my fears, my concerns, rather than them being in my head or talking about them, Doug and I, together. Yeah. And that's what I see that's a great thing today, huh. that parents talk a lot more, I think, to their children. Yeah. And I know then it goes overboard into that, oh, my mother, my best friend, and my, my daughter's my best Why friend. Why is that overboard for you? Because, again, I think, I think it can be different now because we're older. But I think certainly when kids are growing up into teens, your mother is still your mother. And there, there needs to be some, I think, again, I would call it boundaries, some structure, some framework that makes that kid feel safe, secure, and they know what their place is in the world. Hmm. particularly as when you're growing up you don't know what your place is but you mm. do know your place at home you know where you are you know in hopefully 
that you're loved unconditionally for who you are, not for what you do. So even mm-hmm. if you come home and you're, you know, black makeup, black hair, black nails and goth, which was very much the era then. I don't think you did that. but I was very emo. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong Maybe. with that. No, nor do I. And, <laughs> and I, I think that's what we certainly hope to portray, that we loved you regardless of what you yeah. were. Yeah, I definitely felt or whatever. that. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing, loved unconditionally. Secondly is that they know that they're safe. Mm. that whatever happens they're safe and I think there were some situations where I allowed you to be in with because it was too painful for me to look at it Mm. that I should have asked you more questions yeah I think that is my one reflection um is that I I felt always very safe I know that I did call you in many desperate times as a teenager yeah I I called you you know with all friends drunk getting into cars or I yeah. called you at yeah. parties or I called you when a boyfriend had cheated on me and was driving me home yeah. um, and I wanted to get out the car and leave and yeah. he told me he broke up with me in that car journey yeah. and I, I called you and you picked me up and um, and like I remember yeah you guys being there for me for me then oh that's really good but, to hear. I yeah, don't remember that. yeah yeah um but I I um I agree I think I always I also knew I could get away with a lot because I think you didn't want to know a lot yeah and that's yeah. I did get I had that feeling of like that you you had ideas of me sneaking out and doing different things and having parties and different like relationships and stuff but like I I knew that you wouldn't want to know in a sense mm-hmm. or ask questions or maybe you thought that was to be honest you know I wasn't that awful like I no, I was we a, I was a teenager best. yeah and I definitely did teenager things but I wasn't yeah to and a it, degree that was yeah. like destructive so um but I thought I think yeah that that's interesting but and it's funny because my yeah. child, my teenagehood, I rebelled, <laughs> wait for it, by becoming an Anglican and got confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> you got confirmed as a rebellion? I did. Why? How was that rebellion? I remember a lady in our church, I grew up, well, different denominations, but at that time we were in a Baptist church. And it isn't the same polarisation in England as it is in America, I need to say. There are much Mm. more similarities between the different ways of doing faith. But anyway, she came up to my dad and she said, I'm so sorry to hear about Anna. Wow. And it's like, what? So that was 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 you, that was a F you to your dad. Kind of. Well, he he was actually great about it, to be honest. Um, Yeah. But yeah, but his friends, I think they found, my parents maybe found it difficult to explain to friends. Wow. Um, I think that is something I felt as the daughter also is that I had a, I knew there was a point where I felt my mum is really different to me. She's not the same as me. Really? So, and so now I see so many similarities between us, even in us both wanting to have these conversations, both... But in me being very experiential, I wanted to experience the world. I didn't want to think. I didn't want to read. I wasn't academic, but I wanted to explore. I wanted to 
start things, go places, have lots of friends and just experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I didn't ever feel that that was any interest of interest to you. Mm, like mm. so so at some points I felt like actually what I find interesting you're going to find boring. Me talking about my new relationship or a new boyfriend or a travel trip or something or a crazy party experience I just had it wasn't that I was afraid to tell you any anything ever I thought you might think it's boring because you didn't because um (laughs) I didn't feel that not not boring but it's just not it wasn't interesting wasn't of interest to me yeah and I, I know you get excited by ideas and yeah like themes and I could always talk to you about friendship dynamics and like you were always there for me coming home from school like to talk about you know whatever had gone down with friends but I didn't feel and maybe this is the difference that's happened now in parenthood is like relating to your child like I didn't feel that you ever shared any of your stories or so I just felt like you didn't get it and maybe that's a teenager feeling too you just don't get it but I definitely thought my mum I know that, you know, like, only's had, like, one partner, like, has grown up in this way, like... I had other boyfriends, but he was... Yeah, but but they didn't sound like serious boyfriends, right? Like, so, so it it seemed like you, you know, had, had, like, very traditional, and, like, maybe, again, the era you grew up in, stuff like that, but I didn't, I didn't hear your experiences at your first nightclub, or... Your experiences of these 20, kind of things. Twenty when I went. To <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I was thirteen. Yeah. I had a I had yeah. a fake ID at thirteen and went yeah. to a club, and um. But yeah, <laughs> I I think and my babysitter by the way gave me that fake ID. Oh my gave gosh. Me I'm having ID. a crisis here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I think yeah. that's that is interesting. That you know, I I just like my mother came from a very different background. Um. To where I am now, she, you know, it was very much a hierarchical thing. These are your parents, mm. um, and therefore I had a different no model to model it on. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents didn't talk to me like we talk to you guys. Yeah, and so I was, you know, we were all people my age are all were all finding their way. And there were different spectrums for that. One was very permissive. We'll go over the top mm. to kind of um, be my little girl's best friend and let them do anything and everything. Other people mm. were much more strict. So kind of like the very permissive parenting or authoritative parenting mm-hmm. or actually authoritarian parenting when they were very, very strict. Mm. And I think your friends were much more into the permissive um, and there was also the subculture of the Christian culture, which is, you know, children, you know, should submit mm. to their parents and all this other stuff. Yeah. So I had all that drummed into me. So yeah, boy. Yeah. But I, and I would do things differently. And then you have to say, hold on, <laughs> you know, we managed to get through with a lot of, yeah, made some mistakes um, but I think one of the things that I really value is that all of you, all three of you, talk to us. And we, I think we've got a really amazing Open relationship, relationship. Yeah, yeah. with all of you. And you'll all phone, you know, be it for dad or me or both of us, you know, for advice about different things. And I think that yeah. would be the one thing that 
I would really hope if you had children and if John and Bree and Ryan had kids that you know you would be able to have a relationship like that with your kids that they mm. would be able to talk to you which means withholding judgment sometimes and you know mm. I remember and it's not just about having quality time though that is really important mm. it's also you've just got to be there when they want you so I remember once Jonathan coming home and he'd been out with friends and he was meant to be staying with somebody I don't know so we weren't that worried and he was 17 then it was before mm. he went to university and I remember one night suddenly the doors of our bedroom which was a third floor when we were in Pennsylvania they were double doors suddenly the doors were flung open and Jonathan came in threw himself on the bed and said my friends left me in Wayne I had to walk all the way home and we were like hi oh John that's really mm. tough <laughs> it wasn't like go downstairs it's the middle we'll talk to you in the morning yeah but for me, that was what being a parent was about. Yeah. It was about being available, listening. Yeah. And yeah, boundaries within that. There was a certain point we did say, okay, you need to go to bed now. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, yeah, you touched on it a little bit, but like what, um, what do you hope for if I ever became a mother or what do you or people you know that are becoming a mother like in terms of just identity as well related to the being a woman um obviously I, I feel related to our last conversation like there's a lot of heavy expectations on being yeah. a mother maybe and and more so I mean obviously in the positive way it's shifting for men too that you know being a father is just yeah. as a significant identity but um but obviously, yeah, you worked um, most yeah, so of I'm your life. Yeah, so I'm going to come back and, to some yeah. very good points that you made last time, Lexi, which actually Ooh. Doug tipped up, uh, picked up when he listened, which was you basically said, look, if you want to stay at home as a mum, that is absolutely fine. If you want to go to work, that is fine. But be true to you and what it is that you need to do. Mm. Um, and so... I would say that in the same realm as child, you know, is raising children. Uh, for me, uh, I mean, although I kind of say I didn't actually go back to work until you were, well, until we came back to the UK. And I, I think Ryan was about, um, yeah, Ryan was just born. And I think I started doing a couple of mornings that year. But actually, I kind of worked from the beginning in that when the first year when you were born you were an amazing baby clockwork you always napped from 10 till 12 and then three to four or whatever Ooh. and I then produced a, a kit with a friend called um what was it called winning under pressure mm. uh, which was for uh, dealing with stress for directors and work with a friend and I always worked in those bits that you were asleep mm. and she used to visit and we were recording studios and promoting it and then we went off to Africa. Well, uh, no, we went off to Amsterdam and then Africa with Liberia and YWAM. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was kind of working then too. I worked with addicts and prostitutes and kids of prostitutes in Amsterdam, ran the program in Liberia. There were always other people around looking after you. Mm. So it might not have been paid work, but I was doing stuff to keep my head 
busy and in shape. I needed that mm. kind of stimulation and meaning. Yeah. But that said, so you always, always had other purposes. Other purposes. Yeah. Other other things I was doing. But that's because that worked for me, and it wasn't until probably I was back in uh, yeah you were probably as yeah nine or so that I went back to maybe three days a week. Mm. Um, but always worked it for me. It was important. I was there when you came home from school. But I do remember juggling. I remember the awful thing. If one of you, I thought, had a cold um, and therefore couldn't go to the childminder or childcare, it's like, mm. oh, my gosh, what should I... I'm sure their cold isn't that bad. I, I, you know, and I, mm. those agonies of being a working mum, I think it's rubbish that you can do it all and have it all. You can't. And it's going to be a strain. Huh. Um, so that so, goes against a lot of the narrative now in some sense. So what do you mean by that? You can't have it all. Well, I think people think as a mother, as a woman, you can have it all. You can have your children. You can look after them. You mm. can be there. You just need to you can be a CEO. Use all the to... hours in the yeah. day and get, get a better time <laughs> yeah. management system. Yeah. And I don't think you can or yeah. something's going to go. Yeah. And it might be your marriage, probably. I remember we talked to somebody once who had five kids and they both worked as full-time lawyers. And we said, how on earth, you know, when do you ever talk to each other? And they said, oh, we talk briefly in bed before we go to sleep. Yeah. Well, when we were running the project in Liberia, that's what we were doing. And for us, we decided, no, this isn't what we wanted for our marriage. Yeah. So we, you know, resigned and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But... It, it's tough trying to do it all. But I think the wonderful thing is now is that fathers are much more involved. Yeah. There's more paternity leave, care. Mm. And I love the way the phrasing has changed. I don't know if you realise this, but people say, oh, we're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, where are you not even blinking? I mean, we are pregnant? No, yeah. I am pregnant. <laughs> so we would always say, oh, yeah, Anna's pregnant or huh. I'm pregnant. But now, even those terms, yeah, we are pregnant. It's normal pregnant. to me. It's, I, yeah, it still find it funny. I love that. But it is yeah. true, and fathers are as involved now. I must yeah. say, Doug's always wanted to be involved. He was so angry just after you were born in hospital. He picked you up from your crib at the side of the bed, and was walking around, you know, cradling mm-hmm. you. And a nurse said, "Would you please put her down?" And he actually said, I'm the father. And she said, I don't care. Put him down. We're not insured for you to hold him. What? And you can imagine, for you to hold her. Yeah. And you can imagine he was not a happy bunny. And he said he loved when he was finally uh, getting the car at the front of the hospital and the nurse who'd wheeled me down in a wheelchair, this was 31 years, 32 years ago, with you in my arms, he then took you... You know, mm. put you in your car, little car seat, and he felt, no, she's finally mine. Um, whereas now, you know, yeah. much more integration. And the other two births were home births, which were actually brilliant anyway. Yeah. But, and one without pain relief, I just need to get that in. But anyway. You get a reward for I that. I do. And didn't even <laughs> see a doctor in Amsterdam. That's the what? other thing. That's, you didn't see a doctor no. the whole time you were pregnant? No, because you're not ill. Why do you need to see a medical person? Is that what? Uh, that's the Dutch, the Dutch thing? philosophy. So I just saw a midwife. That's crazy. You think about every American here that sees a doctor for everything. So I saw a great midwife who then visited me at home when we called and said, oh, I think little baby might be on his way. And, uh, you know, she talked me through it. Never saw a doctor from beginning to end. But what if there was something wrong? They wouldn't have caught that. 
then you know she was very skilled at her job no but like if there was something like obviously now not only can you tell the sex of the baby but you can tell any you know yeah but a nurse or i think issues. a midwife because she was a trained nurse too so you would see a could, midwife oh yes i say you saw oh, okay yeah, but not a doctor you missed, no you it. always saw a midwife who was very mm. good at her job and uh yeah a lot of training ah. and if there were any concerns then of course you'd be yeah. delivered in hospital and you'd see doctors but yeah so no so very different that's it the whole again care was different hmm and how did you was there any sense of loss becoming a mother in who you were or you've always I mean I think in general you're very good at that balance thing of yeah. making you you've referenced on other like episodes about taking time to read for yourself or do your work you're quite disciplined but like to yeah. get into that yeah. but I hear often there's just kind of like everything there's a grieving there's like this new baby that's amazing but also you're like yeah. oh like your body has been through hell like yep. you've been like you've yeah you've got over just like war <laughs> like yeah and yeah. Yeah, what was that like? Um, I think I was always very fortunate and very, yeah, blessed with my pregnancies, which were all mm. fine. Um, and the births as well, being able to have two natural births, really. Um, you know, and I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, yeah, I, I needed my retreat time to read. But then it's like, you know, I know women that, you know, you run round as soon as the baby's sleeping. And I had great advice, which was when the baby sleeps, stop, you sleep. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. You sleep, you rest, you read. And I did that. Mm. And when anybody comes to the door, slip your robe on, put your dressing gown on. Because it shows them actually, oh, you're still not quite there. You're not back to normal. Mm. And it also helped me have lower expectations. Because again, I, I think of a friend that I've just been talking to this morning who's mm. had her fourth child and I'm just thinking mm, I wonder what the expectations are of her from other people or from herself mm. you know to actually just stop yeah and let other people care for you um so it comes back to you have to look after yourself mm. first and look after your relationship yeah and uh, the children know um know where they are where they fit in yeah yeah well, yeah, wow. <laughs> we've got through a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's... And I, I just wanted to, I wanted to just slip in at the end. So I mentioned this morning, just uh, this morning, <gasps> earlier about Dr. Spock, 1946. Yeah. So evidently one of his wor last words were, trust yourself, you know more than you think you do. I love that. And I think that's what women need today yeah. to do in every aspect. And, and you know, it's funny, I heard the other day a little story about the, the typical girls and boys in a classroom and, and a teacher asking them, are you hungry? And all the boys answering how they felt and the girls were quiet and looked at each other and one spoke up <laughs> and said, yes. And, but they had to like check in with each other. Um, this was from... Um, Glenn Doyle, I think her name oh, is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Untamed. Untamed, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so just basically giving a kind of story about how, um, yeah, just through society, um, men maybe don't want to show hesitation or indec indecisiveness or um, 
you know, fear around being weak. So they immediately might say, yes, this is my answer. Um, and women, on the other hand, conditioned to um, check in with the collective, um, you know, what are other people yeah, feeling, yeah. go outward first, perhaps serve the needs, right. had to kind of get a consensus between the group. Very just like little girls didn't, didn't right. automatically yeah. speak for themselves and say, yes, I'm hungry. They don't not knowing how they felt right. themselves rather than going rather inwards. than going inwards so yeah. so that stuck with me and when i heard that and i just thought wow that's so true i think that's been my personal journey um the last few years is learning how to listen to myself Absolutely. how to trust myself and as you say i think it gets harder and harder the more information is out there for totally. millennials yeah let alone a motherhood, I can't imagine, of how many opinions might be out there. Well, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but that's, I, I love that yeah. advice. And I actually really admire you because I think you, even growing up in an era where you might have had all these traditions, but you seem to have always listened to what you need and yourself uh, and been very strong about that, I think. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I think. <laughs> let's leave that's, it on that note that yeah, sounds good. that's how i that's how i've seen yeah. you as a mom oh, um, and and a woman and i've always seen you wear many different hats that are not siloed and as you say like you can work on something purposefully in the yeah. day and then you are you know yeah all the different roles and things you play yeah, yeah. good well on that note wholeheartedly live in yourself <laughs> live in yourself yeah. yeah and taking the time to do that love that okay right. farewell <laughs> enough <laughs> bye guys bye